Thank you for joining us for Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Paul told the Corinthians, a New Testament church, that there is tremendous value in learning from the Old Testament. It's normally at someone's funeral that we hear phrases like, he lived a good life or he lived well. If you haven't lived a good life, it's a bit like then to make the discovery, isn't it? So what does it mean to live well? There are a number of elements to living well, which involve how we engage with others and how we choose to behave. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, as recorded in the New Testament of the Bible, has some comments to make about our behavioural choices. Tonight, more in the Corinthian series, Living to the Glory of God. Let's join Dr. Corbett now. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we are going to be looking at some of the principles for how you can live life well and we're going to see from the context of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians some 2,000 years ago that the principles that he gave them are still extremely relevant for us today. So that's what I I hope we'll see in a moment. But I I hope that you'll hear at least three or four principles that you'll be able to take away from here and use to live life well. The first one that you'll hear will not be welcome. You won't like it. And I'm going to preface that by saying that sometimes when we're confronted with the truth of things, it can be confronting. So I've heard in the past week, I've heard people, some people say something like this, I don't go to church anymore because they hurt me. And you dig a little bit deeper and what they were hurt about was that they were challenged by some of their lifestyle choices. And the lifestyle choices were challenged by people who care, who actually love them and saw that the choices that they were making were not good for them and I'm saying that to preface what we're about to have a look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because when you make your choices your God that's called idolatry idolatry can be an object a physical object a material object or it can be an idea a notion a belief a passion a lifestyle choice that you've made first priority in your life in fact for some people their lifestyle choices actually define who they are which is for me that's really bizarre and if we get to know you and you come to know that we actually do love you we care for you and if we didn't love you we wouldn't challenge your what we would consider to be lifestyle choices that are actually going to end up harming you not helping you if we didn't do that we wouldn't be loving you we'd be the other word cowardly And we don't want to be cowardly. We don't want to be rude either. We don't want to impose on anyone something that we have no right to impose on them. But if we love each other as a family, just as every parent knows, there are times when your children need to be corrected because you love them. And I think it goes with friendship as well. If you really love your mate, if you really love your friend, you're going to have that talk with them that is going to address issues that you see that the choices they're making are not going to help them. They're going to harm them. So with that in mind, we're going to have a look at most of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to skip a section and I'll explain why I'm going to do that in a moment. But let's pray. 
Father, I pray for myself to be able to deliver your word in a way that it reflects your heart. Give me the voice of Christ into people's souls right now. And Father, I pray for those who are joining with us right here, particularly right here, and also for those who are joining with us online, that you would speak into their soul. May they hear your word and your voice today. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as I've mentioned. And I want to start by saying the Apostle Paul is going to confront. He's going to deal with things in the Corinthian church among some of the believers there because he cares, because he loves them, because he wants the best for them. And the first thing he's going to do that we need to understand is he's going to talk to them about the value and the purpose of the Old Testament for Christian living. Now, some people have the idea that the Old Testament, that is, if you've got a Bible like one of these things here, the first two thirds of it is what we refer to as the Old Testament. The last one third of it is the New Testament. And for some people, the first two thirds are irrelevant to the point where you don't need it at all. You can just hang out in the New Testament. And I want to show you from what Paul told the Corinthians, a New Testament church, that there is tremendous value in learning from the Old Testament. So we pick it up in verse 1 where Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware. Now this is, if you've been tracking with me through Corinthians, Paul says this, he uses this expression over and over and over. And the reason is because of the false teachers who had come in and had accused Paul of being unaware. So now Paul's turning it on its head. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know Paul has just referred to the major event, the major event that happened in the Old Testament. And that was when God brought Israel out of Egypt. And when he did that, the first thing they did is they passed through the Red Sea, miraculously, dry seabed, so to speak, and on they walked. And then as they had got through, the Egyptians came in after them and the sea closed in on them and drowned those Egyptians who were chasing them. So there's that reference to the sea. And then as they walked through the wilderness, the Sinai wilderness, they were covered by a cloud that shielded them from the harmful sun rays and so on. So that's Paul's first expression. If you don't know the stories of the Old Testament, that might seem like, what the heck, under a cloud, through the sea? What are we talking about? That's what we're talking about. Verses 2 and 3, and, they, and were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And if you again know the Old Testament, the people came out of Egypt having feasted on all kinds of foods that were available to them, even though they were held in slavery. And when they came out into the wilderness, wilderness is called wilderness for a reason. There's not a lot of food supply there. And God miraculously gave them food. He sent, as it appeared, to be a very light thing that came and formed like a bread, like a thin 
crusty pizza base and they were able to eat that and, that, and they came up to that and the, in the Hebrew they picked it up and they said what's that and the Hebrew word for what's that is anyone know manna so it's called manna manna so manna from heaven food from heaven what they didn't realize is that God had supplied that to them as a picture of the new covenant Paul says in the next verse and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ so clearly it wasn't that there was this they, they would walk did anyone hear that it sounded like a rock rock and the rock would stop it wasn't like that it's a picture that Christ's presence with was with them he was the rock he would do all these, all these counterintuitive things that they weren't expecting in a wilderness, like they actually, Moses was actually directed to a physical rock and told, strike the rock and water will come out, enough water to form a stream so that people can drink here in this barren, dry place. And Paul says, that's a picture of what Christ does. In those places of barrenness, in those places of dryness where you think there's no refreshment, you tap into Christ and you'll be refreshed. This is what Paul's telling them. Nevertheless, verse 5, Paul is reminding the Corinthians, these Greek Corinthians, Macedonian Corinthians, that probably weren't that familiar with the Old Testament, and he's now teaching them that you need to know these stories. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. The plan was that they would go through the wilderness, learn to trust God for food that wasn't obviously there and drink that wasn't obviously there, but as they trusted God, they realized God supplied the food, God supplied the drink, God supplied the cloud, God supplied everything they needed to make the journey through the wilderness into the promised land. Yet they kept rejecting God's offer of provision. Nevertheless, Paul says, God wasn't pleased with most of them for doing that. Now these things, Paul says in verse 6, and if you do have a Bible, it's worth highlighting uh, as I have done and underlining it again if it's really important I think this one's really important now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did now think about the evil they desired they desired to eat and they desired to drink but they made that their priority in life that's when it becomes evil and evil is nearly always something God has designed for good that the enemy has distorted and made it evil. Because whenever something, even if it's designed for good, becomes your focus and your object of adoration, that becomes your idol and that makes it evil. So the Old Testament reveals over and over and over how people did this all the time. Their stubborn hearts refused just to surrender to God and to trust him. Even though he was a loving father, a good God, a good father to them. They shook their fist at him. They turned their back on him. And he did everything a loving father could do to turn them back to him. And so the Old Testament reveals that idolatry, the worship of anything other than God, and you may have discovered this already. If you haven't, you will. The enemy of your soul does not care what you call him. You can call him Buddha if you want. 
You could call him Allah, the moon god, if you want. You could call him whatever you want. As long as you don't worship the true God, he doesn't care. The enemy of your soul does not care what you call him. He wants your worship and he wants to distract you from worshipping the true God. And so the Old Testament just reveals that whenever people did that, which is called idolatry, it was utterly detestable to God. Utterly detestable. And the Old Testament, if you've come with me on the YouTube daily Bible readings, you'll notice that we went through the whole Bible and every time it mentions idolatry, just hold on, within verses, if not within the verse, the people committed sexual immorality at the same time. Why? Because the enemy of your soul called Satan, the adversary, the adversary of your soul, wants to hurt you and harm you. No, he doesn't want to. He just wants to harm you. And he wants to distort the good things that God has given to you and make them idolatrous. And that's when it becomes evil. Good things, food, drink, sex. These are good things. But they're meant to be done unto God. And that's why most Christian homes, if you ever get invited around to a Christian home where you're invited around for a meal, they'll say something like this. Before we eat, let's just hold hands and let's give thanks to God. It's an act of unity and an act of saying, thank you, God, for what you've given us. And you acknowledge God is greater than what he's given you. And that's why marriage, because marriage is the way of saying, thank you, God, for the gift of sex that we can enjoy now because we are honoring you by being married. So the Old Testament reveals that idolatry the worship of other things apart from god nearly always is linked to sexual immorality and i put nearly always because i thought maybe i missed one maybe there was one that wasn't but in the old testament idolatry is nearly always linked to sexual immorality and perversion you might be thinking oh that's a stretch andrew where are you getting that from the next verse verse 7 do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play and we are not talking about going to a playground and playing swings we are talking paul says in case you can't figure out what he means by play verse 8 we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day as a result of their sexual perversion. Paul says, writing to the Corinthians, this should cause us to not put Christ to the test and treat him as if he is just one of the many gods that you can worship today as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer are there any grumblers here today oh well this is not relevant for any of you then just we'll just move on so paul can you see what he's doing here he's drawing on the old testament if you haven't read the old testament i encourage you make a start he was teaching them teaching the corinthians that there are profound life lessons from the Old Testament on how to live well. On how to live well. 
And here's what Paul is essentially saying, if I can paraphrase it. If you really want to learn to live well, you might want to check out the owner's manual. I'm going to tell you a little story about one of my daughters. I'm not going to tell you which one, because I have three. You've got lots of options there. I'm not sure if I said, can you mow the lawn today? Because we require all of our kids to, to chip in and, and help out. As, we all, as all parents do, right? We should. We all, this is what being a family is all about. So I saw my daughter go out with two cans to the lawnmower that she had had run out of petrol. And she poured the oil in the fuel contain, uh, part of the lawnmower and the petrol in the oil container. Then came in and said, Dad, I can't get the mower started. I'm going to stop the story about there. I'm just going to point out, in a similar way, people ignore the owner's manual for their life. And God is our owner. He created us. And just as a lawnmower is not designed to have petrol go in where the oil goes or oil go in where the petrol goes, your life is designed by the owner to have certain things come into your life and certain things stay out of your life so that you can live well. And so, in this instalment of Corinthians, as we've now looked at Paul's introduction to this chapter, Paul is about to say, this is how I want you to live. I want you to live to the glory of God. Live to the glory of God. In fact, I'm going to say to you here today, who do not know why on earth you are on earth. Why am I on earth? Why am I here? What is my purpose for living? I'm going to tell you very simply, I'll give it to you in two words. Please God. To please God. I'll give it to you in a few more words. To give God glory. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, everything he did and everything he said he was doing was to give glory and honour to God the Father. And he was the perfect person. So if you want to know how to find purpose and that sense of why on earth I'm here, start there. Give God glory with everything you do. Give God glory. Honour him. So we go to verse 11 and we see Paul tells the Corinthians, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the age has come. And here's where Paul has given us a profound way to read the Bible. These things were written about things that happened to them. So it happened to them, but written down to the original recipients, which was the Hebrews. But that's not where it stops. And it doesn't stop there when you read your Bible. Because it says, for our instruction so all of the bible is written to someone or some group but it's written for our what instruction so when in a fix philippians 4 6 which says do not be anxious about anything but let all your let every need you have be given to god in prayer man when in a fix philippians 4 6 that was written to the philippians but it's written for us 
1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares and all your anxieties, all your worries onto him, for he cares for you. And that was Peter writing to the Bithynians. But it's written for us. We can do that. In fact, if you want to learn to live well, that's how you've got to start reading your Bible. I can do this. This is written for me. This is written for me. It says, on whom the end of the age has come, and we heard... Denise, over the offering, talk about how people thought, and, and even Lynn mentioned about how people thought they could buy God's favour. That was Old Covenant. That's the two-thirds bit of the first part of the Bible. That Old Covenant was an era, and the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, that age is about to end. That age is about to end. And I know that there are some Christians who think that means the end of the world. It clearly doesn't because Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. And he wasn't wrong. It was the end of the old covenant age. The old covenant was hallmarked by the temple, the priesthood, sacrifices and ceremonies. And they all came to an end in 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed them and killed every surviving priest. Every priest of the old covenant had their life cut short when the Romans came in in AD 70. And that's what Paul's referring to, to the Corinthians, when he's writing this in AD 54. So do you want to live well? We've seen already some principles here for how you can learn to live well. Read the owner's manual. And here's your biggest obstacle. I'll tell you now, it's going to be your biggest obstacle to learning how to live life well. And the fact that I'm about to tell you what it is, and the fact that some of you are going to go, ha, not me, only verifies what an obstacle it is. So we'll just bring it up on the screen quickly, then we'll move on. Your biggest obstacle to living life well is arrogance. Yes, that's what I thought. Amen. <laughs> I was tempted to write, our biggest obstacle to live life well is our arrogance but I couldn't do it because I was too arrogant <laughs> but can I tell you our biggest obstacle to living life well is our arrogance our cocksureness we believe we're better than we are we deserve we feel we believe we deserve better treatment than we do is there anyone here who actually believes people should treat them better than they currently do none of you are prepared to put your hand up all right <laughs> We all do. We all do. You walk into a shop, there's two shop attendants talking with each other over the counter and you come up to the counter with what you want to buy and the parking meter's running. What are you thinking? I deserve to be treated now. <laughs> I, just, I deserve to be treated better than this. Now, I might be giving you a, an example too close to home, but Paul is essentially saying this to the Corinthians and he says this in verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The arrogance of the one who thinks that he doesn't need God's help or she doesn't need God's help all the time is that you place yourself in a very, very vulnerable situation. Whenever you say, when you see someone who's fallen, maybe into some kind of sin, 
maybe made a committed a horrible mistake a horrible error and you think to yourself that would i would never do that that's never happened to me that will never happen to me take care take care because we are all susceptible because of our human frailty our human propensity to idolatry to do what we want rather than what god wants we're all susceptible so perhaps we might need to speak like this by god's grace i hope i never fall into that or do that or whatever so the apostle paul says to the corinthians don't be arrogant arrogance is your biggest obstacle to living life well there's a lot that the new testament says about being humble and not being proud paul says this no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man we're all subject to it we are all subject to temptations women are subject to all kinds of temptations Perhaps women are more subject to comparing how they look compared to how someone else looks. Perhaps women are subject to looking at themselves in the mirror and going, oh, why can't I look as beautiful as? Can I tell you, that's not right. It's not right. If you live to the glory of God, your focus is not on yourself. It's on God. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't brush your hair. I'm not saying go and see Heidi and have her... Um, what was it? Dress, do you call that a, a dress shop now? Fashion store? See, fashion, see Heidi for a, for a few fashionista tips. Please. In fact, some of you should. Um, and Oh, that was arrogant, wasn't it? Notice this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide. And whenever we hear that expression, God provides, that's the word grace. The way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Some of you think, well, I could never change. Yes, you can if you cry out to God for help. You may think, but I am this way, I was born this way, and I will always be this way. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can change. So to live well, the Apostle Paul is going to tell the Corinthians, remember this church was blighted by sexual immorality and disunity. They are the two things that were blighting this church so Paul has dealt with idolatry again here in chapter 10 and now he's going to say, now let's deal with the other one, how you treat others. To live life well requires learning how to get along with others. Learning to get along with others. I heard this expression, I've used it several times this week with Kim because I, when I heard someone say it, I thought that is profound. And they said this, he who lives in a small community lives in a big world. He or she who lives in a small community lives in a big world. Why? Because when you live in a metropolis, a big city, you don't have to get along with everyone. But when you live in a small community, you end up 
knowing a lot of people. You get to know a lot of people. When, when you come, this is one of the reasons why God has ordained church, not just for Christians, but I think more non-Christians should come to church just so they can learn how to get along with people. Seriously. He who lives in a small community is going to find people who are quite disagreeable and annoying. Anyone found that already? And by learning how to get along with people like that, your world expands. Your world expands and you become friends with people, get this, with whom you often disagree. But when you live in a big city, you don't do that. You disagree with them and you call it hate. And that makes your world really, really small because you'll only hang out with people who agree with you. And can I tell you by personal experience, that is a very, very small world. So Paul the Apostle says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbour. Be considerate of others, even when you disagree with them. That is the only way unity within a church, unity within a family, unity within a committee, unity within a village, a town or a city is possible. Can you imagine what a crazy, crazy world we would live in? Oh, I feel silly even saying it. If people thought that disagreement was hate and you shouldn't have anything to do with them, Greetings to those who are watching from the Essendon Football Club. I just want to say, Paul says, but ultimately, to live life well requires doing everything you do to the glory of God. Which would mean you would pray a prayer that reflects that. God, thank you. A lot of thank you prayers. I acknowledge that what I have has come from you. God, you'd pray a lot of help prayers. God, I need your help. You see, thanking God and asking him for help is giving him glory. It's giving him glory. And so we read, I'm skipping the section from verse 14 down to verse 22, where he talks about demons. I'm not going to talk about that now. So I'm going to skip that. We're going right down to this end section of the chapter. So where Paul says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, remember the two things that Paul said were integral to idolatry, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And can I tell you, that's my pastoral prayer for you today. That you leave this place saying, God, I want to give you glory with everything I do. I want to give you glory, God. I want my life to give you glory. Give no offense, Paul says to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And can I tell you, that's one of the chief ways we can give God glory by living the kind of life that doesn't cause offence to people who do not yet know Christ. So that... They may be saved, the Apostle Paul says. To live the kind of life where people will say, you're different in a good way. What is it? I want what you've got. And for us to confidently say, it's when I gave my life to Christ, my life 
my life began to turn around. My life changed. Everything I do now, and I don't do it well, but I'm trying to, is to give glory to God. A few weeks ago, I was invited by the Launceston Senior School, which I didn't even know existed. But it does, right near the Aquatic Centre. They've got a campus there with all these buildings. And I was invited to come and speak to them about what is Christianity. Man, no problem. And the host of the meeting uh, asked me a few personal questions, you know, where I'm from and my history, my background, and then about the church, this church here. And, and I was the sole representative from the Christian community and they're going to have people from all different kinds of religions come after me each week. But I had this opportunity. And then when I was done, he said, before we thank Dr. Corbett, I just want to ask you a question. Everything you've just said, how does it intersect with your life? And I thought, that is a great question. In other words, have you just given us some theory that, you know, is kind of out there and you, you never quite attain it? I said, thank you for the question. For me, Christianity is, is like a wheel. Christ is the hub. The spokes are the various things I do with my life. The rim and the tire is Christ as well. But it's me and Christ living out this life, this Christian life. And that's how I want, I hope I want you to see your relationship with God as well. He's not just for Sunday. He's not just for one Sunday a month or whatever. I hope that you can make Christ your commitment so that coming every Sunday is an act of worship of God. And it may mean that other things get put aside for you to do that. Yes, there is sacrifice involved in worshipping any God and particularly the true God, it may be a sacrifice of your time and your effort to come. But to live to the glory of God, that's what I hope you will do. We're going to worship God. Would you please stand? Yet not I, but Christ through me. It's so appropriate for what we've just looked at that I'm going to come back and close in prayer and give you an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our God and we want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to give you glory. Father, I pray for those who are joining with us right now, right here and online, who feel that their life is just drifting, just being thrown about from pillar to post with uncertainty and lack of direction, unsure of who they are or where they're going. The God, they would get their eyes off their mirror they would get their eyes off themselves and they would lift their vision heavenward and that they would say, God, have your way in my life. Help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that. You are praying a prayer that brings your life back into alignment with how your creator made you. You are not created to figure it out by yourself. You are created to surrender to the one who made you. And so, Father, I pray that now in this time, in this space, that there would be people who say, God, have your way in my life. I want to live for you. I've done stuff, God, that I'm not proud of, I'm ashamed of. Please take my guilt, take my shame away and help me to start afresh with you. And, Father, I pray for each of us 
that Lord we would live in the knowledge that no matter what we've done no matter how many times we've done it no matter who we've done it with or who knows what we've done that we can come to you and confess our faults our sins our mistakes to you and ask for your forgiveness and your word first John 1 8 9 and 10 promises that you will cleanse us and make us new and that's what I pray for each one here that they would know newness and that this would be the day where they say God from now on I live for your glory may we know the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus name and everyone said Amen God bless you have a great week. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Living to the Glory of God from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, our biggest obstacle to living well is arrogance. Living well requires learning to get along with others. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.